Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. It's, it's one of the most interesting processes that I believe the Lord has led us to today. So I want you to, to, to turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 11. And, and we're going to just review just for a second. We've been teaching about the promise of God that keeps producing. And in general, what we're talking about is seed time and harvest and how a seed reproduces after its own kind and, and, and how we need to look for the, the process of harvest that God has for us. We talked last week and the week previous to that about prayer. And, and we used the, the passage in, in Mark and, and we, we talked a little bit about, about how that works. And I'll review that a little bit for you today. But I want to bring a, a, just kind of a capstone to it today, and, and the message is entitled, Join the Parade. And uh, I hope you get the, the inference, but let's just review for just a second. If you look at Mark chapter 11, verse 24, it, it says, Therefore I say to you, whatsoever things you ask, the word ask there means to be a, a subservient of, of an upper person, so somebody who you're asking as a subservient to a boss. This is never a demand that's put on God. This is you recognizing your place. And basically, if you'll recognize that you're not God and He is, that'll help you. And it says, whatsoever things you ask when you pray. I believe God intends for us to pray. He says, pray, believe that you receive. So pray, believe, and receive. And remember, for you to receive, you have to believe that it's receivable. Okay? It actually has to be real spiritually to you. You will not receive what you don't believe ex- doesn't exist. If you don't believe it exists, it's impossible for you to receive it. And so you process that that way. You say, well, I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe. And, and then it says, and you will have them. So here's your, here's your quote. You pray, you believe, you receive, and you possess. Now listen. I know that the idea behind possession may cause some of you to have a knee-jerk reaction. Go, well, it's never ours. That's not true. It is yours by inheritance. It is yours by inheritance. And so you have to, after something becoming receivable, you literally have to take possession of it. It needs to become yours. And, and it's, it, it's one of those things that's just difficult to teach people because we're so, we want to be so careful around, well, that's God. Well, yeah, we're still giving credit to God, but he instructs us to pray. So whatever we ask, we ask in an appropriate attitude. We pray those things. We receive, meaning they're going to have, or we believe, meaning that, that the, the first step in all of us walking in what God has is adjusting our belief system. And, and that's what we talked about last week. And then, and then to receive that, literally to make something receivable. And if it's not receivable, again, you won't even expect to, to, to receive it. And then, of course, you won't, you won't possess it. And so those are the principles that we've tried to talk about. This is the last part of that, the possession part of that. Now, we've entitled this Join the Parade. In our area, we've been extraordinarily fortunate serving two towns, Ray and Yuma, to watch our children and our grandchildren hoist a few state championship trophies. Does anybody remember that? And did you ever see anybody run out of the stands and lift the trophy up? It was just the the kids who were playing. And when you saw them, they had smiles on their faces and they took the trophy and some grandma was saying, don't drop it, don't drop it. And they were hoisting this, this 
thing up with these, with these joyous faces and they're all, you know, clowning together there and holding that up. They participated. And when they came home, oftentimes what happens in our little communities is the fire trucks come out and they turn on the sirens and they have a parade to welcome home the victors. That's the prospects that I'm trying to get you to see biblically. That when we possess the win, when we possess the wind, all right, we won that we, you know, I have a couple of cousins and they believe in Nebraska football as a religion. Almost that serious. And, and when they talk about Nebraska football, they always put it in the terminology of we. Well, when we pay, played Colorado the last time, that's how they talk with me. When we played, I thought, you've never played a day in your life. See, he possesses that connection that he has with the football team. That's what I'm trying to teach you today, is that that's available to you to possess the victory of Jesus Christ in such a way that you join the parade. Because the parade is way fun. In a lot of parades, and if any of you went to the, the, the fair parade yesterday, I assume... I did not go. I assume that people drive by and throw stuff at you. I mean, frisbees and candy and advertising, all kinds of cool stuff. And the, the, the parade's going by and the spoils of the parade are being tossed at you. But you're not even participating in the parade yet. I want to get you to participate in the prayer. Are you all with me? Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going to show you a scripture in just a second. So, we're going to pray, believe, receive, and possess. We're going to possess the victory that Jesus Christ won through His sacrifice, all the things He purchased for us, so that when we walk in the parade of victory, we have the spoils of Jesus Christ's victory to throw into the crowd. Okay. That was simple enough. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. No weapon's going to make a parade out of this. No weapon formed against you gets to join the parade. Against you or in prostituted intent. Okay? What the devil wants to do is to get you to question or to doubt your belief system. When you doubt your belief system, you'll begin to struggle receiving. And if you struggle to receive, you'll never possess. Okay? So, shall prosper. It won't be advancing or won't be victorious. And it is the heritage, meaning given by inheritance or by means of a will. It is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me. Again, I want to emphasize, this is not me trying to say to you, come on, join us as we do all these right things in the things of God. This is God's righteousness at work. Now you remember in Mark chapter 17, we'll just pick out two parts of this verse. I'm just trying to tie this all together. <laughs> Blessings. I'm just, <laughs> just going to try and tie these things together so that as you take these eight or ten weeks that we've been talking about this and you, you, you remember Colossians chapter 2, which is where we're going to spend all our time today, you go, oh, that's what he was talking about. We want to get to the place where we join the parade of victory, possessing the enemy's weapons and literally throwing out the spoils of victory to all who we pass. 
So notice it says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 19, it says, disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Notice the specifics of the conversation. Why could we not cast it out? Verse 20, please. So then Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Listen to me and listen to me carefully. You possess your unbelief. It's yours. Your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. It literally uses a word that means from or concerning you. You owned this. So here's your quote. You owned the unbelief and it was expressed when you were faced with the failure it produced. You own your unbelief and you're aware of it or you're made aware of it when the promise that you said God, God said he'd do this, but then there's a failure. That's when you need to have your, your belief system affected. Does that make sense? You owned the unbelief and it was exposed when faced with the failure it produced. If you do not believe, you will not receive. If you do not receive, you cannot possess. Again, don't, I mean, you can if you want. I mean, go out of here and say, oh, that pastor, he sure jumped off the end of the cliff today. I'm here to tell you that you were purchased with a price. You're owned by Jesus Christ, and he gives you everything that you could ever possibly need to possess in this lifetime to walk forward in everything that he purchased. He does that. That's what we're talking about. All right, so here's, here's where we're going to start. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. This is the join the parade sermon. Verse 13. Now, if you're a Bible underliner, I want you to pay attention to the kind of the context that's being used here. Because in verse 13 it says, and you. Now, in my Bible, and you can see it right here, I've underlined it in a light green because that was the color of choice this week. And I highlighted or I colored in the word you, the word your, the word your, I wanted to emphasize to myself how the writer Paul was emphasizing what the Holy Spirit had given him. And you, you were dead in your trespasses. Your sin made you dead to the things of God and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He said that made you that way. But he has made us alive together with him. Notice how that when you give up your my stuff, your sin, you come into a we understanding. When you give up your sin, you come into a we understanding. He has made us alive together with Christ. Please do not hear what I'm not saying. This is not you doing something spectacular. This is you joining the parade of Jesus Christ. You were made alive together with him. Okay? He has made us alive together, having forgiven you all trespasses. He forgave you of all your trespasses. All of your sin has been forgiven by him. If the enemy, do I have quotes in here, Jeremy? I'm sorry, I left my notes. You just stick them up whenever one of them comes up, would you please? And I'll read it. There we go. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Forgiving your sin means the devil has no actionable accusation unless he can introduce doubt and unbelief and you release your possession of the inheritance. So when he said, no, you're not forgiven, what's he asking? He interjects the doubt 
the unbelief, then you don't believe any longer, which means you won't receive the freedom, which means you cannot possess it or walk in it. See, that's what the devil does. He says, ah, that didn't work. The fact that the devil is a liar from the beginning, if you hear him say to you, that didn't work, you must know the opposite is true. He's a liar from the beginning. So if he said it didn't work, it must have worked. Amen. Now notice what else it says. Having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting. Do I have this in my deal so I don't miss those? Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. Now this is, this is literally the, the debt. How many of you remember in the olden days when you got your checks back from, from the bank? You actually got the check back. Did any of you ever hold that up to the light and see that they poked holes in it that said paid? They used to run it through a machine that would, you know, rapid fire, write the words by punching out holes in the check and saying it said paid. You, you remember that? So he said he's wiped out the handwriting of requirements. This is that thing. This is the bill being marked paid. But look at how he did it. He said the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, it was opposing us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He literally took the nail of Jesus Christ and poked it through your debt requirement and declared it paid. Does that make sense? All right. So what the devil does is then he comes along and so he says some doubt and unbelief. Here's your next quote. Doubt and unbelief makes the promises of God unbelievable and unreceivable. Because your debt's not paid for. So you've got to do something to get your debt paid for. Are we together? Even though you have the book that's been marked paid. You've received the inheritance. You've, it's been ran through the, the, the clearing house of heaven. And your debt is paid. But doubt, doubt and unbelief comes in and says, well, you know, you're not living that way. You know, I've known a lot of people who don't live as wealthy as they are. Have you? You'd never know. You know, I, I remember when I was helping my grandpa at the Standard Oil Station in, in, in uh, uh, Ovid, Colorado, and he'd always take me aside and says, you can't believe how much that old guy has in the bank. I don't know how grandpa knew that, but he knew all the wealthy people. And man, people would come through in overalls with grease and dirt. In fact, one of the guys, I know why, he's, I know why he was wealthy. He refused to receive pennies and he refused to be shortchanged. So if the bill was $1.96, he didn't believe in pennies, so you had to charge him $1.95. And if he gave you a $2 for that. You couldn't give him back four pennies. You had to give him back a nickel. Or he'd just pitch a fit. Of all ironings, ironies, that was my maternal, my paternal grandmother's father. I didn't know it at the time. And I got a picture the other day from the family archives showing Grandpa Belcher was his name. Can you imagine how he went through school? Whoa. Hey, sorry. Rabbit. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so <laughs> when the enemy introduces doubt and unbelief towards promises, it makes those promises unbelievable. 
See, we can't even believe that God would do that, so therefore we don't receive it. And of course, the next step is, if it's unreceivable, you certainly do not possess it. And you will not walk in that. You'll be a spectator to the very things that God has done. You'll just watch. Notice it says in, in, in that same verse, he says he's taken it out of the way. He wholly removed it as if it never existed. He wholly removed it as if he never... Now, here's, here's, the, here's the cool thing about it. They didn't really have paper back in those days. So they used animal skins or things made out of reeds, papyrus, this, this paper they made. But it's very, very fragile. And whether you realize it or not, when we began to create ink so, to make it so that it couldn't be changed... The, the people who made ink put chemicals in it, literally a mild kind of acid that actually scores the paper that it's written on so that it can't be... It, it was actually one of the things they did to get rid of, you know, cheating and, and things like that. You, you, you couldn't go in and change that. But in their day, they didn't have that. So that it was so expensive to have paper or to have skins that what it literally meant was to blot it out, which meant that they would take water and they would cleanse... The handwriting of requirements against you. They cleanse the, the article of debt with water. And the water would wash the, the, the stain. And, and, and oftentimes it was stained from, you know. Do you all like trivial stuff? Okay. They used to mash up murex snails who are really purple in color. And so they would, they would pull these snails out of the deal there and mash them and make a purple ink out of it because purple represented royalty. And so they would write in, in, in purple. And that's how you knew. That's why I remember Lydia, who was at the, the prosukine, um sorry, Greek words, at the place where prayer was wont to be made in Acts. Her name was Lydia. She was a seller of purple. Very expensive. So if anybody ever wrote anything to you in purple, it was very expensive and it was meant to be kept. But you could literally wash it off with water, very similar to the washing that you do with the water of the Word. Pretty cool, huh? And so, so in this case, it, it, was, it was taken out of the way because it was contrary or literally in opposition to us. And so it was taken out of the way as if it, and it was nailed to the cross. Literally, it had a hole poked through it to declare its innocence or done away with. Which means that the devil has nothing to accuse you with unless you believe his lie. That was the, the quote before this one. So, so let's move on then. Look at, look at this in the 15th verse. He says, having disarmed... Can you put that up for me, please? Thank you. Having disarmed principalities and powers. Now, let's stop for just a second and let's recognize that the only weapons that the spiritual principalities and powers have are weapons that correlate with the unbelief and doubt that you have. He will not attack you in areas where you're stable. Because he can't get you away from that. Why? Because you possess it. Listen, you can come to my house anytime you want, but it will never be your house. And I will not let you move in. Barring God writing with crayon on the wall, you're not living with me. I'm not giving you the keys to my car without God saying so. It's mine. I possess it. 
You say, what if God tells you? Then I would give it away in a heartbeat. Because see, it's, I'm just holding it for God. If you get to this place, God will ask you to give things to people you don't like. Because he likes them. And you say yes before you even think about it. Amen. Notice it says, having disarmed. What did he do? He took the weapons away from the principalities and powers. At the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, Jesus himself, through that death, took the weapons. The only way for the enemy to get an effective weapon is for him to introduce into your level of thinking doubt and unbelief. Well, he took away everybody else's weapons, but that one he uses against you, you know, the, the, the fishing lure that he fishes in your pond for you, you're still attracted to it. You still think that he has authority over you because of the sin that you don't believe has been forgiven yet. That's why we struggle with repetitive sin. Are you aware of that? See, because we do it again, we think, well, we got to go back, got to get re-forgiven. It's because you don't possess the power that sets you free. You believe he'll free you from sin, but you just got to keep going back. Well, God will forgive me. That's only the first step. If you receive the power, you will not have to go back to that sin. Are we together? Because, see... What happens is, we well, I don't know what to do, Pastor. I just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Well, first of all, real quick, put one finger in your ear. So that what I'm about to say doesn't rumble through. We're trying to keep it in there. Jesus set you free from sin and gave you the power to stay free from sin. If you believe it, you can receive it. And if you can receive it, you can possess it. And you'll never walk back there again. You say, well, I just don't believe that. Exactly. Exactly. You just think, well, I can't do anything about sin. Of course you can. Jesus already did. You see the craziness of this? People say, well, I just can't do anything about it. Well, good. At least you've won that battle. It's not up to you. You can do nothing. Jesus said, I can do nothing except for what I see my father doing. Why don't you just act like him? Just act like him. I can't do anything. I can't fix this. Oh, but Jesus already did. If you see your enemy coming at you without a weapon, it doesn't represent much of a fight. But what does the enemy do? He rises up with tongues of accusation. No tongue that rises against you. Remember Isaiah 54, 17? No tongue. You'll put it down. How will you put it down? By the experiential living of God's truth in front of it. Having disarmed principalities, here's your parade. He made a public spectacle of them. I love this. See, if we would live back there, we'd recognize this because every time our conquering king went out, he went out to conquer somebody, he would bring them back. So here's what would happen. You would get the king of the neighboring area paraded through your town, essentially in his underwear. 
They would take all of his armor away, all the things that made him recognizable as a power, and then you would send people in front of you as you're parading this defeated foe. You would send people, and they'd be like hoisting the state championship trophy, only they'd be host, hoisting the enemy's weapons. Look what we got. Now, the people in the parade have no interest in hitting you with the weapons that they took from the enemy that they defeated. And so what happens is, we end up giving the enemy authority by not receiving and possessing what Jesus has already done for us. So we literally put the weapon back in the enemy's hands. And while he's being paraded by Jesus Christ, he says, this isn't working. And we walk up to have an argument with him, and he hits us in the head with the weapon that we put in his hand. Isn't that interesting? The devil is a defeated foe. So we walk up to him and he says, well, you're not, you're, you don't have that victory. That's not yours. See, this is why possession is so important. He'll say to you, well, that's not yours. Well, he's right. It's not. What he's trying to get you to realize is, since it's not yours, you should let go of it. It's mine by inheritance. It's mine by inheritance. When my father passed away, I inherited his wedding ring. It was mine. He's gone. He doesn't need it. And I'm minding my own business last Christmas, I think it was. And God said to me, I want you to give that to such and such a person. I went, well, I can't give my dad's wedding ring away. God said, it's not your dad's, it's yours. See, I hadn't yet taken possession of it. It was my dad. No, it's mine now. And so I bought a neat little case for it, a little mahogany case. Had the son's name that I was supposed to give it to put on there and at Christmas time I said hey I want you to take this with you because your grandpa would have wanted you to have that it was mine to do with what I wanted okay it was mine I possessed it it was given to me through death and inheritance it's the same picture that I want you to get I want you to get it so desperately Jesus is parading the devil, making a public spectacle of him every day, right in the spirit world, going, look what's already happened. And I'm telling you what, God is up in heaven looking at that, clapping, going, yep, that's what my boy did. And we're looking at it and going, nah, this parade isn't right. We've not. Until we get to heaven, we don't get that. And we begin with doubt and unbelief to refuse to receive what Jesus purchased for us by disarming the enemies and making a public spectacle. It is a public spectacle. And then look what it says. Triumphing over them in it. In the public, in the public spectacle. Because of the public spectacle of Christ's crucifixion, the public spectacle of his victory dance, his victory parade, is now what proves that we triumph. And so instead of sitting in the grandstands, watching the parade going by, well, I say, well, that's nice for them, you know, they got that. That's really neat how they all, you know, the, our, our town, our team, you know, won this, but I, they didn't let me play, and it's not, it's not really my trophy and all that kind of stuff. Well, hockey puck, listen to how you talk 
When you're out, well, our, our town, our, our team, our high school won a state football championship, and you didn't. We won a state basketball tournament, and you didn't. There's a certain level of humanistic pride that goes into what was won in our name for us. When I was coaching basketball, they would never let me play. I wanted to play in the worst way because I still believed that I could run fast and jump high, but I couldn't. I had to transfer what I had won in my past, knowledge-wise, into people who didn't have the same knowledge that I had. I had to transfer what I knew by victory into the hands of people who had not known victory yet. It's very similar to the spirit world. We're transferring that. Why? Because there's this public spectacle and we're triumphing. The very fact that the parade is taking place means we've triumphed. Does that make sense? Put up your next quote, would you please? Doubt and unbelief makes us spectators of the parade, not a part of the procession, procession of conquerors with captured weapons. Can you imagine taking the weapon of criticism as you're in the parade of Jesus Christ? Some of us are so moved by personal criticism that we can't move past that. And yet all we have to do is go get in the, in the parade and hold up the weapon that Jesus Christ has won for us. I do that all the time. I, I was so subject to criticism because no one could see a pastor like me. They assumed that pastors should be handholders. And I never have been. I'm more of a backside kicker than a handholder. So if you need your backside kicked, I'm your pastor. If you want your hand held, you need to go around the mountain again because you'll be right back here. I'll just wait for you. I don't have to hold your hand in the mess you're going to walk through. You'll be right back here. That's the nature of going around the mountain. So I'll just stop and wait, and you'll be back. I'm still going through it, Pastor. Duh. Let me kick you. I use Ezekiel 7, 9, which says, I'm the Lord God that smiteth you. It means to slap with an open palm. Yeah, that's what I want. Bam. Wake up. See, join the parade. Get in the parade. For me, it was criticism. People used to criticize. I, they probably still do now, but they just don't tell me, and I just don't care. I literally, I would, I would do the pastoral thing. Nobody trained us. I mean, you know, you've been in church long enough. You just go stand at the door and shake everybody's hand so they can tell you what you preached wrong. Well, I didn't really like that. And I came with real snarky responses. How many of you know that wasn't God? People come out and say, well, that was okay, pastor, but we didn't like this. And I, I would say to, to them, you can't believe how hard we work to keep your disappointment at such a low level. Um, that wasn't God. But I was real good at that, you know. Because, see, I was more prone to kick them than to love them because, for whatever reason. See, here's the thing. When I learned that I could just join the parade and find the guy who's carrying the weapon of criticism, I can take that weapon from him. You know, he'll loan it to me because he's like godly, right? And, and he goes, yeah, it's awesome. You can just wave this thing. And so I took the trophy of criticism. We won over criticism. And I'd wave that thing around. 
And God said, that's how I want you to be. I want you to preach as if you're preaching to an audience of one, and it's none of the people sitting in front of you. I want you to preach from the victory that Jesus won for you. I want you to preach from and for the throne. I went, okay. And all of a sudden, criticism was no longer a weapon against me. And now, and you know, please don't start, okay? If you don't like what I'm saying today, please, please don't come to me and say, well, I didn't really like that. Because you're going to hear, I don't really care. I didn't preach it for you anyway. I preached it for God. He's the one to talk to me. I was trying to get it. It was more for me than it was for you. It always is more for me than it is for you. And I'm just waving that criticism thing. Oh, man, that is awesome. You cannot have victory over me through criticism. I don't, yay, God, you won this one. So you pick your weapon. Whatever he, whatever he fishes in your pond for, take that weapon, join the parade, find the guy that's got it, and go over and say, listen, can I borrow that for just a second? And wave that thing like there's no tomorrow going, whoa, man, I'm, I went over. Jesus did that for me. Oh, that's so grateful. And, and just possess it. I possess the enemy's criticism of me. He always tries to whisper things to me. And I tell him, speak up. I'm a little hard of hearing. You say, why would you do that? Because I'm just going to tell him to take a hike. I have his weapon in my possession. You cannot criticize me enough to cause me to not follow my calling. You say, well, I, I learned the power of this from a pastor named Max. Max pastored for 35 years. He was never not fired from a church. He got fired from every church he ever was ever in. I thought... Oh, you might have should have learned that lesson earlier than being fired for, you know, a dozen churches. Did you know that even getting fired, Max never wavered from his call? I learned so much from him. I've never heard him preach. Maybe he can't preach a lick. I don't have any idea. But you know what I learned? He owns the weapon of people's personal opinion of him. I'm like, That's pretty good. And he was waving that every chance he got. It's not about what people think. If they fire me, I'm just going to move on. You say, well, well, how many times do you need to get fired? It doesn't really make any difference. If God's told me to do this, I'm going to keep doing this. Fire me if you want. I'm just going to move on because God has an open door for me. I mean, it's just crazy stuff like that. Don't be a spectator. Here's your scriptures. 1 John 3, 8 says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Please agree with me that Jesus himself destroyed the works of the enemy. The sin that so easily besets us, that we can so easily lay aside. Jesus took possession of that weaponry. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 14. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Talking about Jesus. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. See, you should have no fear of death. I didn't say you want to die, I just said you shouldn't have any fear. And release those who through fear of death. See, the devil no longer has the weapon of death. You say, well, we're all going to die. Yeah, you're looking at the wrong stuff. Everyone in here, your flesh is going to quit functioning pretty quick. But the reason you live is what the Bible says. 
The Spirit is life. Yes and amen. When your flesh falls to the ground, your spirit takes its next breath in the very face of Jesus Christ. Because it lives. Your spirit lives. You've been released from the fear of death, and you are no longer subject to its bondage. So, oh, I don't know, man, that's pretty hard. Yeah, well, if you pray, you believe. If you believe, you receive. And if you receive, you possess. See, many of you are trying to receive that, but because of your natural functioning, the way you work in life, you're just naturally focused at your human life. You're saying, well, yeah, but you know, everybody's going to die. When I tell people I'm not going to die, they always remind me that I'm going to die. Your, your flesh is going to fall down. Yeah, not my focus. If my flesh falls down tomorrow or next Sunday when I'm preaching up here, before I get too stiff, just roll me over a couple of spots and somebody preach, okay? I will be cheering for you from heaven. Yay, go. And if I could communicate with you, I'd tell you, make sure and use this scripture because I really liked it when I was in your place. Why do we have these fears? Here's your last quote. Come on, music team. When the incorruptible seed of Jesus is sown into your life, the harvest of the Father's intent is our heritage and our inheritance. Jesus is an incorruptible seed. He's been sown into your life. He will always produce the harvest that God intended. Our only issue is to receive what he intended and to not let the devil interject doubt and unbelief. He will always attack you in areas where your calling exists, trying to get you to not do what he's asked you to do, what God's asked you to do. But we want to operate in the intent of the Father. It is possible to know his will, as it is possible for you to choose yours or his, just like Jesus did. He says, not my will, you know, God, but your will be done. He knew both. He knew both. He wanted to function in the will of the Father. But he still had his humanness. That's why when that father brought his child to Jesus, and he said, Jesus said to him, if you'll only believe, all things are possible. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. What was he saying? Help me get past those interjections of doubt and unbelief that cause me not to receive God's best. And when I don't receive it, I can't possess it. And so I can't walk in it. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, would you please? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today for this. We thank you, Father, that we are beginning to see the parade of victory. Where we are more than conquerors, we're joining that parade, Father. We're lifting up the weaponry that was, was taken through the cross of Jesus Christ, that the enemy was disarmed, and we have possession of those, of those weapons. And we thank you today, Father, that as we learn to possess the very tools that the enemy uses against us. We will do that by joining the parade and seeing those other witnesses, those other people that says, yes, it actually works. You can be free of criticism. You can be free of the, of the fear of death. You can walk out of that bondage and you can wave this captured weapon as your proof of triumphing over it through the public spectacle of the parade. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
to subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.